Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host and interviewer each week. You may recognize me as the guy who's also privileged to now host what is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, pushing out to nearly 7 million people each Tuesday, where each week I have the privilege and daunting task of interviewing some, some of the world's largest uh, business authors, celebrities, best-selling authors, business titans, and people who've done research on topics that are compelling to our own leadership journey. And what we learned after four years and nearly 300 episodes on that podcast was, although you loved listening to Deepak Chopra and Seth Godin and Liz Wiseman and Kim Scott, we found that many of the the episodes that are the most reviewed and rated and listened to are the ones that are somewhat relatable. People that are like you on the rise in organizations and you can learn from their own career trajectories. And today we have just one such guest. She's had a very steep rise in her career. Her name is Angelina Sud. She is the CEO of Vimeo, a company, of course, that you use their tools literally every day if you're on the internet. She's joining us from her office today in New York City. Anjali, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thank you, Scott. It is great to be here. So our guests each week have varied paths to the C-Suite, whether they're the CEO or they're the CMO, CIO, you name the C-title. Sometimes they have very uh, significant twists and turns, right? Perhaps some of them even haven't even achieved a higher education degree because they became so indispensable in their company in the mailroom, literally. And after three decades, they worked their way up to the C-suite, no less talented than those like you that have a very impressive and hard um, fought and earned and won Ivy League edu- education. What I'd like to do is before we get into what it's like being the CEO at Vimeo, would you take a um, unhumble, <laughs> less humble review of your academic trajectory? It's quite remarkable and impressive. Talk a bit about some of your professional jobs that even led you to where you are now as the CEO of Vimeo. Sure. Um, well, and don't I... skip anything because it's actually quite <laughs> impressive. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try. I'll try and do that without being too long-winded. Um, so I grew up in Flint, Michigan, um, my hometown. I am the first child of two Indian immigrants, and I grew up with a very sort of classic. American immigrant story, which was my parents left their family and friends, came to the U.S. so that they could give their kids a better education. And hopefully those their kids would, through that education, realize the American dream. And so um, I was in public school in Flint um, until I was 14. And I decided that um, I wanted to see if there was a, a better, bigger world out there and um, ended up going to probably the, one of the best, if not the best high school in the country, Phillips Andover. Um, so I left home, went to boarding school in Boston. Um, and I went from really one of probably the, the most challenged and disadvantaged school systems in the country to probably the best overnight. Um, and uh, so I would say my academic kind of trajectory really, really changed at that time when I was 14. Um, because they suddenly, you know, had access to a community and teachers and resources and peers around me that were just, you know, incredible. And, um, and from there, you know, I think it, it was a quite an adjustment actually to kind of first survive at Andover and then eventually get my head above water. And by the time I graduated, you know, I think I'd gotten a lot of confidence that, 
I could survive. Um, by the way, are you all hearing the insane New York City? No, nothing. I'm riveted listening to your story. Okay. Keep going. It's okay. New York City. Cool. We tune it out. I, Keep going. I think it's nice background, but I just wanted to. <laughs> no, you're just fine. That is. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I I was able to you know graduate from one of the best high schools in the country, and from there go to uh, incredible university. Studied at the Wharton School, um, and then eventually went to grad school um, at Harvard, uh, and. Uh, I really attribute all of that to the decision I made when I was 14 to leave my family and and go for it at this at this really intimidating, scary school. Um, and uh, that really is what gave me the confidence to believe that I could even be part of that kind of academic um, world. Uh, and you know, from there, I'd say my career path was quite nonlinear. And nonlinear is a nice way of saying I had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted to do for most of my twenties. Uh, jumped around. I started in a, uh, out of college at a job in investment banking. Um, was a small firm um, that really no one had ever heard of, but uh, it was the only job I could get in investment banking coming out of college. Uh, and then I just sort of jumped around quite a bit doing everything from, you know, selling toys and diapers online to working in media. And uh, if I think about the through line for all of that, it was always just a desire to, one, be in environments where I was going to learn a ton and be pushed and challenged and be a little uncomfortable, kind of like how that 14-year-old version of me felt. Um, and two, you know, seeking a diverse set of experiences that would ultimately make me a better and more well-rounded leader. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that's probably the, the summary I'd give. Well, I think there's more, too, because you're literally on every list that exists. So Hollywood <laughs> Reporter's 35 under 35. You're on Fortune's 40 under 40. Uh, New York City's Cranes Magazine, 40 under 40. Uh, on and on and on. I'm guessing Vogue has you on the best dress list. I mean, you're on every list that comes around right now. You've worked super hard to get where you are. Before we talk about where you are at, at um, Vimeo, will you recap some of the key lessons? Because it sounds like your career was a little bit deliberate, a little bit sort of accidental. For those who are listening right now to your journey that is somewhat relatable and honestly somewhat unrelatable, right? We recognize that. <laughs> Everybody can relate to the wanting to stretch themselves and kind of bouncing around a little bit. And it's a little hard to, you know, uh, relate to going to Andover and Wharton and, and Harvard. And you deserve all of that because of your kick-ass work ethic and your obviously um, some innate abilities. What are, tease out some of the replicable lessons that you think other people, whether they're from Flint or they're from, you know, Martha's Vineyard, wherever they're from. Martha's Vineyard gets a bad name these days, right? Because of what's happened <laughs> the last few weeks. Uh, what should we learn from your career that is replicable for our own careers and maybe even that of our, our children? Yeah, a couple things. First, I'd say, I, don't th I think at any stage in your career, no matter how old you are, no matter what level you are, you can always reinvent and define your path. And I know it doesn't feel that way a lot, but, and I think it's happening even more nowadays. We used to be in an environment where you had to be at a company for 20 years and now like that's out the window. And I do think you can you can reinvent yourself. And I do, I experienced that, you know, I went from being an investment banker to, you know, a, a merchandiser in e-commerce 
to a marketing leader, to a CEO in totally different industries, totally different functions, different business models. And, um, you know, what I, what I see is that if you think about your career, it's you own your career and um, no, one, no one else is going to define it and, and, and think about it and nurture it the same way you will. But, you know, you don't have to take where you are and, and it shouldn't define what you do next. Um, and I do think if you look at where I, I moved quite a lot in my 20s, I, I, I moved jobs quite a bit. That was definitely a big part of it was me wanting to define my experiences. Um, and if I wasn't happy and learning and thriving in an environment, or maybe I was, but I felt like I was ready for more. I was the one saying, you know, Hey, I, I want to go and try something else. It wasn't like somebody else gave me the push to go do that. It was really me. And so I would just say like, knowing that, you know, you can control a lot more of your career maybe than it sometimes feels like, um, is something that I learned. Uh, Another thing that I've learned is um, when you are ambitious and you you know you want to take on things, uh, it's really helpful to always frame what you're looking for for your own development through the lens of what's good for the business um, that you're in. And I say that because if I think about why I was able at you know, a young age and admittedly with not a lot of experience to be able to do some of the things I, I did at Vimeo before I became CEO and then ultimately become CEO. I think the thing that I probably did best was align what I was looking for, which was learning, growth, impact, new experiences. I wanted to own a PL, I wanted to lead a team. Align that with what was actually going to be good for Vimeo. And um, and really putting the company and the business first in how I thought about the things that I was pitching or, you know, wanting to do. And I think um, now as CEO, I appreciate that so much. Like when I see young, ambitious people come to me, there's a huge difference when someone says, hey, Anjali, like, I really want to learn X, Y, and Z and do X, Y, and Z. Please, can you find an opportunity for me to do that? There's a really big difference between that and when someone says, Anjali, I know you're staying up at night because you need to figure out how to scale X product. I think there's a way to do it. And I want you to give me the chance to prove it to you. Those are really different things. And, um, and I feel like that other way, that second way for me helped open doors and ignite my career in ways I didn't imagine. It's great insight. Who taught you that? Did you did you have a leader, a mentor, a parent, an educator, a leader in your in your current company, or was that just like an instinctual thing you knew you needed to align your interest and desire for growth with solving a relevant, prescient problem in the company? Um, the truth is, I think some of some of it was probably innate. Um, uh, my biggest people always ask me about mentors and. I never had, I think, an explicit mentor in my career. Actually, my dad is probably the person that I relied on the most. And, you know, he's not a big CEO, though he, he is an entrepreneur at a very small scale of a manufacturing plant in, in Flint. But um, he was always somebody who I think he just raised me since I was really young to kind of believe that, you know, 
it was important for me and whatever I did in my life to make an impact. And that the way you make an impact is you help grow a, a business. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a, um, in a town that was, you could see the economic devastation and impact that came from, from when the auto industry came into Flint and then left. And so I think from a very young age, I always felt like part of what I needed to do was find a way for businesses to have impact. And so I think that probably did make it a little bit innate for me. And then that between that and my father, I think that that helped. I will say when I was at Amazon, I did have, there was a, a woman who was very senior there named Maria Renz. And she had given a piece of advice once at a talk that always stuck with me. And someone had asked her, you know, how do you move up and how did you move up at Amazon? And what's your best advice? And you know, we all hear all the, all the advice, all these great sort of sayings all the time. But what she said was, um, protect your performance. And what she really meant by that, I think, was there's so many subjective ways to think about what we do. But but the if you really want to be like in the most objective way, if you're performing and driving performance for the company, then it will open up opportunities. And if you're consistent about that over time, repeatedly over time, then doors will open for you. And I think that did always stick with me um, as sort of a piece of advice that resonated. Yeah, I mean, just the, the good old-fashioned advice of consistent results beats everything. So let's pivot to something you're passionate about. You have a strong point of view on, on strategy, specifically understanding when a strategy isn't working, is it an execution problem or is it a, it's a bad idea problem? And you've worked through this a lot. I think it's a challenge that everybody wrestles with. Talk us through kind of how you understand when something isn't working, a strategy, how you understand quickly which problem is printing it up. It's a bad idea or it's just I have the wrong execution capability in place. Yeah, so I think there's two key components to doing that well. The first is you need to create a culture among your team and the key decision makers around you that of intellectual honesty. Right. Because the number one thing is you want to create a culture where people are are comfortable saying this isn't working to begin with. It is amazing to me how much time we can waste at companies just arguing about whether something's working or not. And so when you create an environment where it's actually not only safe, um, but comfortable and encouraged to proactively say, is this working? Isn't it? If it, it's it, Let's proactively find the things that aren't working and talk about them. I think that is a really important first step to actually getting everyone on the same page that is something not working. And the way we're assessing it, we're all looking at it the same way. And I, I would actually argue now, I think that's probably 80% of the battle. Then I think when you're clear, like something's not working, you understand what, when you're, everyone's in sort of agreement that it's not, and you need to fix it. Um, you know, for me, I like to put my strongest A players on the biggest burning, most burning problems. Um, and I like to kind of remove as many other obstacles so that they can really focus on solving that problem. And I like to do that because that is a really quick way for me. If I put people I trust to execute on something and they're still not succeeding, that's usually a good signal to me that there may be something else that, um, that you know, is a foot there. And I think if you, so I think it's both like creating a culture and an environment where you're 
comfortable talking about what's not working so that if it is a strategy issue, you, you kind of suss it out and pull it out. And then I think it's finding sort of your, your fastest path to validating whether it's execution or strategy. And for me, that's usually just like putting really strong, you know, execution oriented folks at, at the biggest problems. Anjali, take a few minutes before I move forward. Remind our viewers and listeners the business you're in, how they use your products, maybe even on a daily basis. Sure, so Vimeo is an online video platform. Um, most people probably still think of Vimeo as the indie ad-free version of YouTube. So you might've shared your wedding video um, using Vimeo um, or maybe watched some really cool artsy content on Vimeo. Um, and we do still do some of that, but actually I became CEO five years ago to really transition the company um, to being more of a video platform for work, for businesses. Um, and what we do today is we actually build uh, a, a suite of software that helps companies of any size, with any budget, any size team, use video for things like live streaming events in town halls, creating content for training, um, using video on your website or social media. Um, and so really what, what, we, what we do today is we try and unlock the power of video that we've all gotten so used to in our personal lives on TikTok um, and Netflix and actually bring that to uh, our working environment. Um, and so that's what we do today. Uh, so many of you probably are experiencing and using Vimeo's tools, some of it in your personal life, but actually probably more and more much of it in your professional life. We are the video platform for some of the largest companies in the world that touch you know, millions of employees and teams. Angela, when you first joined Vimeo as head of marketing, you started to sift through a lot of data and you also went out and talked to a lot of customers to understand kind of how they were using your tools and what was working and not working. And I'm guessing you had to learn how to sift through a lot of noise and know what is actionable, what isn't actionable. For those customers, or rather those, those, those clients that are doing the same thing, they're listening to their customers and they're trying to figure out how do we tease out the voice of the customer for executable strategies and improvements. Any advice you would give them on things you learned between nice-to-haves and must-haves and things that were passion projects or arcane issues versus this is clearly what our customers want from us and the future customer wants from yeah. us as well? That's interesting. My thoughts here have evolved over the years. You know, I think probably my best advice, for, first of all, uh, always talk to customers. <laughs> Uh, I actually still today spend a good amount of my time talking to customers. And I think any good CEO, any good leader at no matter what level you are, if you don't stay um, close to your customers and have a pulse on what's happening in your in industry, especially in, in industries that are changing fast, you will never be a good decision maker, no matter how smart you are, no matter you know how well-trained you are. Um, so talk to customers. Frequently. Uh, the second thing I'd say is um, what I've realized over time is that I'm a very gut driven and instinctual driven leader. And I like to marry the gut and instinct with data, right, before I'm making a, a, a call. But I always start with gut. And what I've learned over time is that when I talk to customers, it's not that I'm looking for the customer to give me an answer, right? The customer is not going to give me an answer. That's not their job. 
And so it's not about literally listening to your customers. And like, when we say listen to your customers, it's not like, hey, you know, customer A, how do you want to use video? It's less of that I have found to be helpful and more just really, when I speak to customers, I, I want to know like, what's your job? What's like the hardest part of your job? If you could be the most successful right now and you were going to get like promoted really quickly, like what would you show your boss that would make you feel really successful? Or why do you like working at this company? And, and, and through that, it's sort of developing over time a pattern recognition that gives you instincts. And those instincts, you can then combine them with mining the data, you know, looking at the usage on your platform or whatever, however else you access data. And I think it's the combination of that, that sort of honed instinct with then the data that you have available that allows you to make great decisions. So it wasn't like customers, you know, five, six years ago, actually no customer was saying, I really want to live stream my town hall. Interestingly, I know we all live in a world now where that's obvious. It was not obvious, um, you know, at that time, nobody was really doing that. And so if I had asked, you know, well, I think live streaming is interesting. Like, do you want to live stream? Actually, a lot of companies would have probably told me that sounds like a nice to have, but not a need to have. Um, but I think it was more understanding what is it that you're craving to work better and feel more connected to your teams? And it was that understanding of like, I want the personal experience and the emotional connection and the nuance and the context. And um, I want it to feel real time. And, and I, I want to bring the power of being in person. I want to do it at scale. That was really the unlock and the insight. So, um, so yeah, so I think talk to customers, but don't, ex don't expect them to give you answers, um, but allow them to help um, hone your instincts. Let's talk about leadership uh, at Vimeo. Uh, you have how many direct reports? Oh, I have seven, seven direct reports. And if I was to interview those seven and they were to compliment you on one of your areas of leadership strength, what would be a consensus, something they like that you do? And I'm gonna ask the flip side in a moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say passion. Uh, I definitely lead with passion. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of energy. <laughs> um, and you see that as a compliment. You see, they, they, they see that as being contagious. It buoys them or, because I can see some people yeah. saying so much energy, so much passion. She loves everything or he loves everything. You see that as a strength, obviously. Yeah, I think. Um, they see it as I a strength. Think, uh, yeah, I, I think in, in environments, yeah, I would tell you, especially now, I mean, it is, you know, it's a tough market out there. And I think when you have passion, it is infectious. And um, particularly when you're in the toughest times, building businesses aren't isn't easy, and um, and I think that's that that sort of passion is really important. It, it's combined though. And I was going to say the other word I think many of them would use is decisive. I'm very comfortable making decisions quickly, um, maybe sometimes too quickly. That might be, but on the, without perfect information. And I think passion combined with sort of a decisiveness and and sort of a focus that can be very galvanizing um, as long as it doesn't turn into, you know, a, a sort of a, a kind of all over the place, you know, that everything has to be done all at once. So I think it's more that I, I, I'm passionate, but I think I understand that everything has a trade-off and you have to make decisions and weigh trade-offs. And I'm pretty comfortable and, and willing to make tough trade-offs um, without perfect information. Share something that they would say this is an area of improvement for Anjali. We wish that, we hope that her skills will grow in this because it would benefit the company and such. 
Yeah. I think my number one is, uh, is actually focus. Um, and by that, I'd say, you know, and this may be a little bit of a function of Vimeo, but I, I suspect a lot of companies have this too right now, which is we were, we grew quite quickly. We went through a period of kind of hyper growth. And when that happens, um, everything looks shiny and you end up wanting to do a lot of different things because everything is working. And so you can spread yourself really thin. And um, for us, as we kind of came out of COVID, we were a COVID beneficiary. So we saw kind of hyper growth during COVID. And as we've come down from that, um, there has been, I think, a very clear and urgent need for more radical focus. And that means stopping things, saying no to things. Um, and, you know, I think for me, I'd say I'm very good when I'm presented with two options or presented with a difficult decision. I can ask a couple questions, get the information I need and make that decision. And I think I'm pretty, I have a decent track record of like making the right decisions over time. But what I have struggled with is that more proactive tops down mandate that we need to do less um, and we need to do less better and we need to focus. And I think that is fair criticism. Um, and it's an area that I have definitely been working on. Um, and what I realized, you know, I know a lot of companies right now are going through this exercise of like, how do we get more profitable? How do we get more disciplined? How do we get more lean? You know, tough times are ahead. And what I realized is I can't rely, it's not fair to ask my team to always be the ones to bring the trade-offs and the tension points to me. I have to really declare and make a very tops-down commitment and kind of culture around being more focused. And I kind of have to lead by example there. And I think it's really hard to do for many CEOs because we're used to being able to be like, oh, can you do this? And people, you know, we'll do it. And you don't realize all the repercussions of everything that you ask of people. But um, for me, I think that's my number one area of opportunity. And I'm, I'm sure my team would say it and I, I would agree with them. Hey, I want to call out your self-awareness. It's actually rare that we have someone on this podcast that uh, talks as transparently around an area of growth as you just did. I think it's a compliment to your self-awareness, which is clearly a leadership competency. Rewind a minute, you used the word radical focus. I mean, here we are in late October of 2022. We are coming into midterms. We are coming into potentially a recession, depending upon who you talk to. The prime minister in the UK has just flopped you know, recently because of some strange mathematical calculations that weren't <laughs> right and things like that. I mean, is it going to be a recession or not? What does radical focus mean as a daily practice? Like when you say the word radical focus and it translates into new and better behaviors, what does that look like as a CEO, as a leader at any level? I think, um, so my thoughts have evolved on this as well. I think before, when I was quite bad at this, um, I thought about it as like, a, every day you're making a series of decisions and then, you know, each employee is making a series of decisions. And then there's, you know, at scale thousands of employees, you have all, hundreds of thousands of decisions being made. And, um, and I used to think of it as like, well, everyone just be comfortable making trade-offs. And as long as we're making decisions every day and saying yes to something and no to something else, isn't that focus? And what I've realized is no, that is not focus because 
It only works if there is alignment. Alignment meaning from every single one of those thousands of employees, we all have to be super crystal clear on what is our purpose? What is the why for, for why we are here? What is like the no fail must win things we have to do? And, and then you can scale decision-making and trade-offs and focus. And what I suspect, I know this for Vimeo, and I suspect for a lot of companies, we think that we're like not good at making tough decisions or it, trade-offs are too hard. They're not, they're not hard. Usually the root cause is that as an organization, we are either not clear, crystal clear on the why and what must happen, or we are not aligned, which is we are clear and some people disagree and are just not on board. And, um, and I think that is the job of the CEO is to create that clarity and alignment and then set up everyone with the right resources and tools to be able to make trade-offs and focus every day in their thousands of decisions at scale. Um, and uh, as I said, I think for, for a company like Vimeo, because we were in a pandemic where everything, literally if everything is going up and to the right, it's funny, like it seems like that's easier, but what it actually does is it makes it, it dilutes yeah. the why yeah. and, and then what you must do because there's so many things you can do that'll kind of work. Um, and so it almost becomes an excuse to, lose sight of those things. Yeah, and I, I think um, for us, we're really spending quite a lot of time right now, very intentionally undoing that. You know, it's interesting what you just did was you kind of challenged the conventional wisdom of, you hear these adages from sage leaders, you know, a leader's character is tested not in good times, but in hard times. And, and you're kind of saying, well, yes, but actually it's maybe even more true in good times because you have a little bit of hubris. Everything seems to work. The accountability is less there. And you're kind of flipping that script to say, no, 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 be as aware and disciplined in the good times because that, 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 that bubble around you will burst quite quickly when the bad times uh, come. Yeah, and I would even say like knowing, being crystal clear and aligned on, on your why and then what you must do that should be your priority no matter what, no matter what time yes, you're well in. Yes, well said. Right? Like well said. that's just, and, and that will allow you to get scale and impact from every person at your organization and build, you know, I think the strongest company. And, um, and so, yeah, it's definitely the thing that I wish, I do look back at sort of the good times and I think I wish I had understood that and, and, and internalized that better. Well, you've helped millions of people that are listening to this this week think about, how to implement in their lives. Let's end with a discussion around communication. Anjali, remind me how many associates there are inside of Vimeo. Uh, employees? Yes, employees. Uh, we have 1,300. 1,300. So when you're thinking of how you get your message to the front of the line, right, at that very front, and so that you have alignment and everybody understands and there's clarity, what are some of the strategies you use as a CEO? In fact, Franklin Covey is a fairly similar size organization, about 1,000, maybe 1,200 full-time associates here in the U.S. and then, of course, more around the world. What are some things you do in terms of social media, email, newsletters, town halls, Slack, communication? What do you do to make sure that you have your pulse on what's happening around the company, but people also can get the message from you and it's not diluted down the line? Yeah, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. First, I think um, lesson learned, I think this happened to me and a lot of other leaders during the pandemic was like, 
everyone, we felt like we had to communicate frequently and we conflated communicating more with communicating better. Mm. And um, I think what I realized is like, people have very short attention spans. As human beings, we have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. And so, and I, I'm pretty sure our younger generation of the workforce, I'm guessing their attention spans are even shorter. And so you, you know, constantly bombarding people with a ton of dense messaging, I think is, is actually really challenging. It's asking quite a lot, it's putting a lot of burden on your employees. And so one thing I believe is it is important for me to find concise, simple ways to explain um, and, and, and unify and align people and to be consistent and frankly re repetitive about that. So I used to think like every town hall, we need totally fresh new content and let's position it this way. And that's just friction <laughs> and, and you're adding more um, for employees. So, so that's one. Two is I use all sorts of media formats, obviously as a video platform, I use video a lot. I send video messages instead of emails and Slack a lot. And what I find is that, you know, it just helps me be more human and personable. It helps me um, communicate nuance and context um, in a way that's like, you know how it is when you read something, I'm sure you've seen, like you write something on Slack and it can just get misinterpreted. Um, and I, I do quite a lot of that. Uh, and I also try and just use our products as much as I can in our communication, because I think if I'm not, you know, eating the dog food, then I can't ask other people to do that. So I'm usually the first one trying to try a new feature or capability out in video. Um, and then maybe the third kind of bucket I would say is, um, and it's funny, I think at, ever since Vimeo went public, it became harder to do this because like there's this like army of lawyers and like people telling you what you can and can't say and why and you have to disclose this and blah, blah, blah. But like just being transparent and as direct and honest as you can with everyone. And what I mean by that is, you know, being able to not just explain the what for people, but like why you came to that decision, what you what trade-offs you made, um, what you weighed, why you thought it was the right decision. And what I have found, um, you know, my job isn't to be popular. It's often my job is to actually make the hard, tough decisions that no one else wants to make. And as the leader, it's I'm the one that should be making them. And so I used to feel like I had to like, I, I used to think about communications as how do I make sure people agree with what I decided? That's a fool's errand. And again, it's not my job. So what I've learned now is like, what I need to do is communicate clearly what I've decided, how I thought about it, and why I believe it's the right thing. And what I have found over time, at least with the Vimeo um, team is, even if people disagree with my decision, even if they fundamentally and viscerally disagree, if they understand that it was thought through, intentional, and um, still going for the same goal that they're going for, but just with a different perspective, they will accept that and they will respect it. And I think for me, that's you know been the most effective way to communicate, particularly when it's difficult news, hard choices, um, challenging times. Angelina Sood, you are the CEO of Vimeo. 
What a valuable conversation, not to mention the angelic light that's coming from behind your head. <laughs> it softens everything you say. Hey, thank you for joining us today. I think that's right. You're, you're, the, the leader's role is not to be popular. It's to make the tough decisions and to make sure everybody understands why you made that decision, give them context, tell them the why behind the what. We hear this a lot. I appreciate you making the investment in our listeners and viewers today. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.